I've been thinking about the words that we use as a part of the communion ritual, the, uh, the prayer that goes like this. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. We affirm that, but do we still try to keep secrets? Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. This idea of secret keeping from God intrigues me. And this particular passage of scripture in Hebrews, I think, puts the lie to all of that. This is Hebrews 4, beginning in verse 12. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden. But all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, because of all of that, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested, as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I wonder, how often is it that you completely understand why you are doing what you are doing? Some of the decisions, some of the actions of our lives are pretty complex, I think. And we might convince ourselves that we are doing a certain thing for a certain reason, but when we think more deeply about it, if we permit ourselves to do this, we discover multiple reasons, and maybe some of those reasons are even conflicting reasons. Consider the young man who bought his wife flowers for Valentine's Day. He wasn't feeling particularly involved with his wife at the moment, but he knew that he would be in serious trouble if he didn't pick up roses and some chocolate. Yes, he loved his wife, but more, he really didn't want to deal with the hassle if he didn't meet expectations. Complex. Consider the woman who had been dating a fellow for a few months, maybe six. There had been dinners and dates, a little smooching, more than a good bit of money expended, a little jewelry purchased. And now he's down before her on one knee, all red-faced and sputtering, and her mind is racing. He's a nice enough guy. He treats me well. 
He's kind and gentle, but we don't have tons in common. And I'm getting older, and if I don't say yes here, will there be another offer? Is there is there someone for me? Is is this guy better than being alone, or am I settling for less than God's best for me? It's complicated. Consider the man who's the quality control supervisor at the meat packaging plant. The refrigeration was only down for 15 minutes. But the guidelines say 10 minutes is the limit or all the meat must go. $125,000 worth of beef down the drain. And his boss comes by and says, five minutes won't make any difference. It's the spirit of the law that matters. They only say 10 minutes so that it doesn't go to 30 minutes. Look the other way. Is it really that the five minutes doesn't make a difference? Or is it trying to maintain a good relationship with the boss or, or trying to avoid getting sacked because you need this job that makes the choice for you? Understanding our true motives in any given situation can be a tough thing. From parenting decisions made just to get the kids out of my hair, which I affirm, <laughs> to tax return estimates that resemble the truth but aren't the truth, from promises to care that are uttered but never fulfilled, to contributions and gifts made just to keep face, our motives for the things that we do can be really complex. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 reminds us that God and his word cut cleanly to the core of every issue. That there's no hiding our thought patterns, our motives. There's no hiding any of that from God. He knows specifically. Even when we're not sure what we're doing, He knows. And I wonder at times, do we really want a clear picture of our true motives, our true fears? our true obsessions, our true self-absorption, our true grief, our true weakness. I mean, sometimes ignorance is bliss, right? Why do we have to know all that stuff about us? Annie Dillard writes of one cold Christmas Eve in her childhood when her family came home from a late dinner out Ginger ale and cookies sat on a special table in their home. Little Dillard had taken off her coat and was warming herself by the heat register. Suddenly the front door swung open and a person entered whom Dillard never wanted to meet, Santa Claus. The family called out, look who is here, look who is here. Little Annie ran upstairs and hid under the bed. She explained, she feared Santa Claus. Santa Claus was an old man whom you never saw, but nevertheless saw you. He knew when you'd been bad or good, and she had been bad. So Santa stood in the doorway calling, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, but she never came down. 
pictures of God do we carry in our minds that keep us from understanding that Jesus is saying peace? And that his entire journey on earth was designed to save us, not condemn us. Do we really believe that God loves us? Do we live our lives in ways that demonstrate that our faith is central to who we are? Or have we bought the lie that God may help other people, but he really won't help me? Do you, do you find it hard to trust Jesus when he invites you to find rest in him? There's a central, a central question posed in this passage that is absolutely critical for us. Critical if we're going to avoid the kind of trouble that Israel got into. You may not know what you believe about this. Or you may act like you believe something other than what you tell yourself you believe about this. But here's the question that's central to this passage of scripture. Is Jesus really willing and able to help you? It boils down to that question simply. Is Jesus really willing and able to help you? I mean, right here, right now, March of 2019, is Jesus really of any use to you? Do you really expect him to answer your prayers? Does praying to God make any difference at all? What got Israel into trouble was that God said he would deliver them and give them a homeland, but they didn't believe it. First they grumbled, then they looked right at the promised land in front of them, stared straight into it, turned around and walked away, because even though they said they believed God, they didn't believe God enough to believe that he could deliver this land into their hands. So there's a disconnect between what they said and their actions, and it led first to grumbling, and then to turning away and saying, God, you're not enough. You're just, you're not enough. God could not overcome the obstacles that they could see in their minds. And so here we sit 3,000 or more late years later, and the same question raised its ugly head for us. Do we really believe God can help us? Do we really believe that Jesus is who he said he is? Do we really believe he hears and answers prayers? Is what you say about what you believe the same as the way you act? You act as if you believe these things to be true. The Spirit can tell us exactly what we believe about all that if we want to know. He cuts right to the core of our hearts and tells us what we believe and what we don't believe based on what he sees. It may be that for some of us, we believe in some areas, but not in other areas. God can answer these prayers, but not these prayers. He can help me with my marriage, but not with my anger at my boss. He can heal my flu, 
but he can't heal my broken heart. He might provide a job for me, but he can't fix my mother-in-law. I mean, some areas yes, some areas no. You know, some problems just seem too big for God. Or he hasn't acted quickly enough, so I've stopped believing there's anything he can do. Our author is going to tell us something staggering about our Jesus. We have a faithful high priest, he says here. One that has passed through this life and beyond into the heavens. He is sitting in a place of power and of influence. He is mighty and he is predisposed to help us because he loves us. He has issued an invitation to us in many different ways by his word, by his sacrifice through his torn body. He, he's told us that we can walk right up to God and make our requests known. The grammar of verse 16 here literally says, mercy and grace result in finding aid. And the phrase, approach the throne of grace, actually grammatically is continue approaching the throne of grace. Do you get it? We can approach not just once. We can continue to approach. And we can approach with the expectation that mercy and grace, the mercy and grace of the one who is on the throne, results in finding aid. Do you understand? An invitation has been issued to seek aid. And you will find aid if you unite faith with your seeking and ask. That's what this says, right? That's what's right here in front of us. The critical point, however, in all of this is, well, do you really believe that God can help you enough to unite your faith with the seeking and get to the point of asking? You know, it isn't our prayers that break down strongholds or move mountains. It is this combination of things. It's our faith expressed through our prayers that brings us before the one to ask. Because the one we ask is the one by his power who breaks down strongholds and moves mountains. All the power resides in the throne and the one who is seated on it. But we're connected. And he's predisposed to hear us and to answer us because he loves us. That's the invitation. He wants to know if you have the faith to believe that he can make a difference. And that you will look for the difference he is making. And if your need is just to have enough faith to believe that he can make a difference, you can take that request to him too. They'll hear that one, as well as any other. I am not promising that he will deliver the results you want. He is not your cosmic vending machine. He is the Lord, the creator. He sees to the heart of every 
matter. I am saying he hears. He really hears. He really responds. And that he is sympathetic and he will answer. And you will receive aid. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, before he was killed, wrote these words. All that we might rightly expect from God and ask him for is to be found in Jesus Christ. The God of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with what we might imagine he could do or ought to do. If we are to learn what God promises and what he fulfills, we must persevere in quiet meditation on the life, saying, deeds, sufferings, and death of Jesus. Then it is certain that we may live always close to God. And then nothing is impossible for us because all things are possible with God. If it seems that God does not completely deliver, he enables. If God does not always answer the way we want, he gives us the ability to trust him. If a future is not possible in this life, his promise is certain for the life to come. He never abandons his children, ever. Have you heard a doctor say that there is no hope for your recovery or for a family member's recovery? Have you felt like you had no escape? Are you battered by the past, by what you have done or what's been done to you? Have you lost hope that things can be different? You know, James has a word for us here. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith. <clears throat> we have a hymn in our hymnal written by Charles Wesley. And one of the verses says something like this. I love every time he said it. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoners free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed. We serve a mighty, powerful God who has sent out invitations to us. And he's expecting an RSVP. He wants you to come and continue coming into his presence so that his mercy and grace will result in our aid. But do you believe that he will hear your prayer? You believe that he will hear prayers in this particular situation where things haven't changed quickly enough to suit you? Do you believe that he can hear your prayer in areas where you failed too many times to answer, to even count? Are you willing to believe that nothing is impossible for God? Sing with me. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour. 
rich, and that song is great, isn't it? So teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Doesn't seem to make any sense to me to have an invitation issue and not have an opportunity to respond to the RSVP. So we're going to end this service today in a way that's probably messy. And uh, I hope you're comfortable with this. You can be comfortable in the midst of chaos. I have some friends who are going to assist me. They would come at this time. I'd appreciate that. But the message to continue entering the throne of God is clear. It's very clear. And it may be that as we've been thinking about the scripture this morning, the Holy Spirit has impressed in your mind that there is a particular area of your life that you just need to bring to Him. You need to bring to Him. And perhaps, isn't it James that tells us? We have a significant need to call the elders of the church together and pray, confess our sins, and we'll be healed. And so I think today's the time for prayer and anointing. And so I'm going to sneak over to that side, and there are four of us here. And we're prepared to pray for you and anoint you as you boldly enter the throne of grace. These four, these four we four, have taken a vow, a vow of confidentiality about whatever you might reveal to us that you want prayer for. They will not speak what you say to them to another, another living person. You don't have to confess anything if you want. If you just want to come and be anointed, you're welcome to come for healing. For the area where you need prayer, whatever that is. And so the way we're going to end, we'll have music playing in a moment. And if you'd like to approach the throne and be anointed, come to one of us. If you would just like to kneel at the altar during this time without being anointed, the middle sections of the altar are yours. And we're just going to hang out until we're done praying. Okay? I'm going to present, uh, I'm going to offer a blessing for those who are going to leave before we're done. But for the rest of you, I encourage you to stay and remain and pray and exercise your right to respond to the invitation of God this morning. Okay? Heavenly Father, keep us in your care this day and always. Amen. Mm -hmm.